Hey out there, this is John Davison from the Electronic Privacy Information Center, and you're listening to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I'm your host, Kerry Parker, and this is episode 212 for March 22nd, 2021. And today we have part two of our interview with John Davison from EPIC, the Electronic Privacy Information Center. And if you haven't caught the first one, you should definitely go back and uh, start there, just last week, of course. But today we're going to pick up where we left off, and we I had posed a question to John about these being automated systems. One of the classic things that humans love to do when they come in contact with automated systems is to try to game the system. That is, try to learn what that algorithm is and use that to their advantage. And in some times, some cases, that turns out to be you know, kind of doing weird things to try to, to get it to look upon you favorably. You know, the classic one, of course, is Google's SEO or search engine optimization. Uh, while they guard their algorithms very closely uh, from observation, a lot of different marketing companies uh, have decided that they know how to game that system and they sell those skills to other people to try to help you get your websites or whatever pop up higher on Google search results. So anyway, similar thing. So we're going to start there today, but I'm also going to, you know, play a little devil's advocate here and, you know, talk about are humans, are humans really any better at doing interviewing? You know, humans get tired, humans get lazy, humans have their own biases, maybe they're having a bad day. Uh, you know, is there something to be said for, you know, supposedly cold calculating computers, you know, making decisions uh, at some level? So <laughs> we're going to talk about that. And of course, you know, you know me, you know the podcast, we're definitely going to be talking about privacy and and human rights and, and, and whether or not we need to regulate this industry more, and if so, how, and all that kind of good stuff. All right, so let's get right back to it. Part two of my interview with John Davison. So, and here's, and here's the flip side of that, of course, as soon as we start getting to automated stuff, you know, it's, there's gaming that system. So I read in the Washington Post in prep for this, that, that there's technologies are becoming so per pervasive at, at schools, like universities, you know, as part of their, you know, hiring programs to get you, help you find jobs, are actually training the job seekers to quote, how to look and speak for best results, unquote. Uh, so... You know, can these systems be gamed? Do we know that they are, you know, it seems like that's the flip side of this coin every time. Yeah, it's a great question. I don't know the answer for certain. I, I expect uh, that there are some intuitive things like, you know, don't yell at the camera, uh, <laughs> to maintain eye contact right. to the extent possible. And, and I, I've seen YouTube clips and, and articles that advise applicants to structure their answers in certain ways and use certain keywords. Um, so it, it would not surprise me if if those uh, tend to be looked on favorably by higher view. Uh, but the truth is that we don't know for sure because the factors that higher view is relying on are not publicly disclosed as a matter of course. Right. As I mentioned earlier, you know, even if you could identify certain you know, gestures or, or behaviors on camera that the the system tags as positive, it's not necessarily possible for someone with a disability or a facial. Oh, tip sure. Right. Or, or some other um, inhibition that, that's going to prevent them from meeting those uh, expectations of higher view. And, and I think this sort of speaks to another problem, um, teaching to the test. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, right. You know, it's, it's so possible, 
as has happened in some cases for standardized testing, it's so possible for an AI system uh, to become a feedback loop where you, you end up teaching to the system. And then over time, the test and the teaching evolves into this sort yeah. of bizarre self-contained evaluation right, right. that's removed from actual the actual <laughs> factors that, that employers are concerned about or that make a good uh, employee. So, so I think there's, there's certainly, I'm, I'm sure it is possible to a degree to, to teach to the test, so to speak, but it's, uh, it's underscores some of the, the shortcomings of these systems. Right. And, you know, and I'm sure some of this falls along the line of, you know, as regular things you would do in an in-person thing, you know, dress nicely, you know, don't swear, you know, don't bring up politics. Don't, you know, I'm, I'm sure there's, you know, along some of those lines are just, you know, regular things you would do in an interview to try to give a positive impression. But, you know, for example, for some of the essay things, I know that some of these, there, some of these essays uh, that are submitted, I don't know if, I don't think SAT's done this way, but some, some of the ones that are automatically scored, you know, some students have figured out ways to like, literally just, if they populate the, the essay with certain, you know, high dollar dictionary words in random order, like it doesn't even have to make sense, you know, that, that they get great scores from some of these, <laughs> from these essay scores because they've learned how to game the system. So, yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's uh, and, you know, and, and to be clear, saying that this is a problem with AI is not the same as saying that human hiring processes are perfect. Uh, right, they're they're far from it. Um, and and you know, there's always room for improvement, but it's it's one does not follow from the other. It, it you know, there's this technological solutionism. I don't know if this is a term you've run across, but this idea that uh, every every problem or perceived problem has a technological fix, fix and we should rush to implement that fix and sort of damn the consequences. Um, and I feel like this is a, a good example of that, that um, yeah. you know, e- even though there are problems in hiring, um, we seem to be adopting technologies that we don't fully understand and the consequences of which are not well appreciated by companies and regulators and the public necessarily. So it's it, it's just just to underscore the point that that uh, just because AI is a problem doesn't mean that we're defending human hiring processes. Well, and that brings and that brings me to kind of my next point is you know humans don't are great at this either. I mean, do they do these companies have a point? I mean, you know, you know, I think what the idealized view of this is that well, if you take humans out of the equation because humans are naturally biased, right? And they have, not only just whatever biases they, they have in general, but on a maybe they're having a bad day. Maybe they're not being attentive. Maybe they're distracted. Maybe they're maybe they're sick and coming into work anyway, and they're trying to interview someone and they're not at their they're not at their best either. The, I, I think what some of these systems are are kind of saying is well, you know, computers don't get tired. Computers don't get distracted. Computers don't get sick. If you know the whatever results you're going to get today, you're going to get tomorrow. Uh, and so in that sense, they are uh, unbiased is the wrong word, but I mean, do they have a point in that, in, in that some automation is, might help alleviate some biases and maybe where the rubber meets the road here is have employers come back and, and said that they, they like the results they're getting from some of these systems. I mean, what are they, do the employers actually believe that these systems are bringing them better candidates? So, a, a few thoughts. Um, I, I don't personally have access to statistical data uh, on the success rate of, of these tools, you know, as compared to, to human hiring. Um, mm. I, I, I think that sort of goes to the opacity of these systems mm. and the mm-hmm. fact that we, we generally don't get the types of validation studies that you would want for 
AI in these contexts. So we're not seeing the comparison of, of human versus AI-based hiring. Um, I, I gather that you know, lots of companies are content with these systems insofar as they keep using them, but that's a little bit different than saying these systems are effective or do right. what they say they do. Because um, I think in, in many cases, these are attractive because companies uh, probably correctly believe that they can save money by mm. automating hiring processes. Uh, and so they, they are happy to turn over at least some of that decision-making process to uh, an automated system that gives them the veneer of, of fairness, mm. of reliability of, as you say, sort of machines don't get tired, they don't get distracted. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it's it's very easy for companies to say, well, look, the, the computer told us this person was a candidate, the computer can't be biased, right. the computer can't discriminate, so what's everyone worried about? But as, as you well know, and as I imagine your listeners do, algorithms and AI yes. encode and sort of can replicate at an industrial scale the biases mm, yes. and, and patterns of discrimination that are found in the training data that, uh, or, or the sort of parameters that are set up by whoever's designing the system. So it, it's it's simply not a defense to say that because uh, a, a computer told us so, um, we're, we're going to, you know, take a second look at these job applicants and not at these others ones. Uh, so it's it's not that I think there is no potential application of AI in in hiring settings, but this application with with the lack of transparency with the lack of validation studies with the lack of of redress for candidates who might be injured by black box systems um this is is not a trustworthy ai system and not something we should be comfortable allowing in our hiring processes right yeah and so and, and let's dig into that a little bit so um i think that the and we've talked about this on the show because we've talked about facial facial recognition is is kind of a scourge of our times and I, and I and I think you're right in the and I I think the balance to be struck in a lot of these cases is um, uh, these AI systems are good for kind of a first pass kind of a, because it, you know it's it it allows things to scale for another place this is uh, is used is like content moderation like if, you know looking for you know, things that you know copyright violation or terms of service violation or racist talk or, or you know incitement of violence you know on facebook and twitter there's there's you know there's two billion plus people whatever on facebook there's no way they could hire enough humans even for the money they make to moderate in person everything that happens so and, and i think like these big companies too and that what have the same issue where they could be getting you know thousands of applicants for a particular job and so i, I think the balance to be struck is 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 that you know these might be a good first pass but then that some human has to step in um, and, and review the results. So, but now to the to the bias part. So, there's at least two elements for AI, and I, you touched on, on you touched on those is where bias can be built in. And a lot of people, I think, you know, maybe computers are, in, are infallible, infallible. They're unbiasable. They're it's just bits, and, and and they can't. They don't have the human bias. But as you also pointed out, that's not true because the software that does this is written by humans. Humans have biases, and then. The bigger thing maybe with AI and machine learning is, you know, garbage in, garbage out, which is to say that they need to be trained based on some input data and and that input data is usually biased. So if you would, and I'm sure you've got plenty of examples of this, how do, 
how does the you know, the training set, the data that comes into this matter, and um, and then the algorithms themselves? I mean, they're created by humans. It, it, how does how does that affect how these systems operate? Right. So if you are setting up a tool to screen applicants for future openings at your company, uh, and you're satisfied with the current composition of your workforce, you you know. I, this is a simplified sort of explanation, but you might uh, you might set up a tool that attempts to replicate your current workforce. And AI in general is is pretty good at doing that. That's what it's for, largely. Mm. Uh, so it can it can identify candidates in many cases who look like or have the same qualifications as your existing workforce. It's not perfect, of course, but but the one of the problems that comes up often is that your current workforce actually is not as balanced, is not uh, as um, equitable in, in its composition mm -hmm. as it should be. Um, it, it's, you know, you are, as I mentioned, sort of replicating at a, at a larger scale problems that already exist in your current workforce. So a, an example, a real world example of this, I'm trying to think this was maybe 2018, Amazon mentioned or, or came out and, and disclosed proactively, I think, to get out in front of the story mm -hmm. that it had been testing a system that allowed would allow it to screen the resumes of applicants using AI to determine mm -hmm. ideal candidates for, for interviews and follow up. Um, and it turned out that the system was just like systematically excluding women at, at mm. very, very high rates, had a, had a very sharp uh, gender bias in its uh, outputs and in particular, I believe was rejecting almost all applications that mention the name of a women's college oh, wow. uh, as, as somewhere as somewhere that the applicant <laughs> attended. And you know, they, they fortunately did not rely on this system, but it, it underscores the the dangerous, to very simple uh, example of, of where relying on an AI system can just further encode problems that already exist or magnify them um, and. Those trends, those uh, biases are not always apparent and can be very difficult to identify because if you don't understand the internal logic of the system or the factors that it's relying on, it's difficult to understand how it got to the answer it got to and whether that is a, a, a legitimate uh, uh, you know, determination or one that's, again, just encoding existing biases. Yeah, and and so that touches on the the next point I want to bring up, and I got to bring up one other story though before I do, and that one of my favorites when it comes up to facial recognition and uh, inherent biases is that somebody, and you may you may remember the details on this, somebody did a study of trying to find it was a system that was supposed to through facial recognition identify criminals, people with criminal records. And mm. I and I think they ran this. It was done in California, which no surprise. But I think they ran it across like California state assembly people uh, or whatever their house is called in, in in California, and found several members of their <laughs> of their Congress or whatever in in California that were apparently criminals because it falsely matched them. But I think it, I think there was definitely a bias uh, with people of color too. Absolutely, and, and there there have been many studies showing that there are. Uh, especially racial bias in facial recognition systems, and I think also uh, bias affecting uh, individuals with, dis with disabilities. The, the, those two categories in particular um, often are, are disadvantaged by facial recognition systems that are trained on biased data sets. Yeah. So 
here's 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 the problem in the, in, in this with this and we want to, we want innovation in the capital society we like our tech and ai can be used for good and so all these companies come up with these really cool things but all the you know we we, we need some transparency to be fair and for auditing but in order to be transparent, basically they would have to give up the secret sauce, right? These are all proprietary technologies. They've gone to great lengths to come up with their system for weeding out candidates or, you know, whatever it is they're trying to do with their AI system. So how do we, how do we figure that out? How do we find some way to, to get real auditing of these systems and, you know, both the training data they've used, the, the algorithms they come up with uh, in a way that doesn't, you know, screw up their capitalist dreams of making money off those proprietary algorithms. Um, yeah, so it's 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 not easy, but uh, I, I would say a couple of things. One is that I think we need to be thinking about this in terms of uh, placing the burden on a proponent of an AI system. If, if a company is using an AI tool to make individualized determinations, um, it's incumbent on that company to demonstrate that the AI it's using is fair, transparent, reliable, free from impermissible bias and all those things. So the question isn't how do we demonstrate that the validity of this system, uh, or how do we demonstrate the validity of a system that's already in use? It's why should we allow a company to use an AI system that it can't publicly demonstrate is effective and fair? So that's sort of one piece of, of, of the, the puzzle. And I think burden shifting is important. Hmm. Uh, but in terms of the mechanics of how you would do that, um, third-party assessments and audits by reliable auditors are important. Uh, as we talked about earlier, there are limitations on them, um, especially if the company is allowed to determine the parameters right. of those audits. Um, and that's where I think legislation and regulation comes into play. Um, it's, it's important for lawmakers to institute these requirements. Um, it should you know, algorithmic impact assessments. These exist under GDPR in Europe. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. They are a tool that's been talked about a lot for data protection regulation in the U.S. They should be part of uh, state laws, state privacy laws, and AI-based laws, and federal data protection legislation, uh, if, with, which we may see come to the floor in the next couple of years. Those are sort of. I guess the, the terminology gets used in different ways, but but uh, algorithmic impact assessments, that term generally describes a an document that a the proponent of an AI system publishes before uh, rolling out the system, hmm. and then um, so the, so that's like you know what what is the system? What is it being used for? What data is it collecting? How is it processing that? What validation studies have been conducted? Have you demonstrated that it's free from impermissible bias? And have you provided an adequate justification for using it? So all of that should be assessed by the company and placed into a document that's made publicly available, understanding that there are limitations on on how much detail you can go into with proprietary yeah, AI systems. Right. I think all of those all of those categories of information um, should still be available to the public. Like yeah. you, you could describe all of that at a sufficiently high level that you don't need to turn over trade secrets, mm. um, and then. In addition to that, are, are what I already mentioned, which are third-party assessments and audits. And over all of this, you need an adequate legal, legal framework and you need regulatory oversight. You need regulators who are going to be sufficiently aggressive to ensure that these uh, requirements for, for audits and assessments are enforced. So let's talk about regulations. What uh, you know, tech always leads 
the law because uh, <laughs> the law is you know notoriously slow to develop and so where a couple things first of all what around higher tech in particular what sort of cases are are out there now are, are there lawsuits pending that might drive this industry uh, drive regulation and then from you know are states and government agencies actually trying to limit or ban this use now like they are in some cases with facial recognition technology so i looked this up recently i was curious you know what sorts mm. of cases are out there mm -hmm. um and i really could not find any federal or state huh. litigation against higher tech firms uh they may be there may be cases out there and i'm just not seeing them or maybe too um, new but, i guess maybe yeah well I, that's probably a piece of it um i think it is also a reflection of the inadequacy of our <sighs> yeah. legal frameworks around this type of technology so it's it's there it is very difficult to obtain redress to obtain um some sort of remedy if you've been injured or, or believe you've been injured by a, a system an ai system or, or facial recognition system um, and also, it's it's a reflection of how difficult it can be to identify bias uh, definitively in in hiring yeah, processes, sure. and that's that's true, of course, even in human hiring processes. But it's also true in AI-based processes. But in terms of governments that are interested in in cracking down on these technologies, Illinois, I believe it was last year or maybe the year before, passed the Artificial Intelligence Video Interview Act. Hmm. That is, to my knowledge, the only law currently on the books in the states specifically about video-based hiring assessments, and it, it imposes some requirements that are good. Uh, you know, there has to be notice that AI is being used. Mm. Um, there has to be uh, information describing generally how the system works. Uh, they have to obtain consent, express consent from the applicant to use that technology. As we talked about earlier, that's a little bit tricky because opting out often means you just right. Can't apply for the job period. Right, right. But there is that there is that requirement for consent. Um, there are limitations on who the employer can share uh, videos with and the any company that captures videos in an AI assessment um, has to delete them within 30 days of a request by the applicant. So those are those are significant. But it, that even that law doesn't place substantive express limits on the use of the technology you, uh, other than the consent requirement. You can still you know, use pretty much whatever platform you want to, as long as it's checking these these few boxes. Whereas, as you mentioned, there have been a number of jurisdictions instituting bans or significantly curtailing uh, facial recognition use. Um, and I I would imagine that that is actually a piece of why HireVue mm, has mm -hmm. dropped facial analysis from its system yeah, because it is concerned about compliance with those laws and others that may follow. There was also a law proposed, and I, I confess I don't know the current status of this. I'm, I'm pretty sure it hasn't passed, but New York City was considering instituting similar restrictions to Illinois on uh, AI hiring platforms. And we know that there has been interest by consumer protection officials at the state and federal level in, in systems similar to HireVue, uh, in, in systems, online proctoring systems, other other contexts where there's facial recognition and, and video interviews and AI analysis being used. Um, so there, there are certainly lawmakers and regulators uh, engaged in this issue or suite of issues, but um, you know the, the, the legal framework is not quite there yet to, to make it easy for applicants to ensure that, that they're not subject to unfair 
uh, AI analysis or, or over collection of data um, just because they want to apply for a job. Gotcha. Yeah. So it sounds, yeah. So that was, sounds like there is really no, you know, other than, other than Illinois and maybe eventually New York, right? Currently there's, you've got no really, no real recourse. Um, well, so, I, I should, sorry, I'll, I'll qualify that slightly, which is to say that, that the, the authority that we are relying on in our FTC complaint is, uh, the prohibition on unfair and deceptive trade practices. Mm-hmm. And there are state, some state statutes against UDTP are, uh, include a private right of action. So you can bring a lawsuit if you've been subject to unfair or deceptive practices. Um, the federal statute does not include that, but many state laws do. That is a potential avenue for redress for an individual. But, you know, our, our complaint is kind of on the bleeding edge of that, mm. establishing that these types of practices are unfair and deceptive. So you've got a lot of work to do uh, if you intend to bring a lawsuit of, of that nature uh, as an individual to show that uh, that you've been harmed by an unfair or deceptive trade practice. Gotcha. So if if you have if you've gone through some of these processes, if you feel for some reason you've been um, discriminated against or uh, or weeded out uh, based on some of these AI systems and higher tech. Uh, or I guess other things related to this too. That's it's used all over the place now. Um, it, is this something that they could approach uh, you guys with? I mean, do you guys do you guys collect information like this in, in hopes of eventually launching class action suits? It, what if I if I feel I've been affected by this, short of a particularly applicable law? What else might I do, or who who else might I reach out to for help? Yeah, it's it's a tough question uh, because as I as I said. Uh, U.S. law and the laws of, of most or all states uh, don't make it easy to obtain redress. If you have uh, credible reason to believe that you've been discriminated against through an AI augmented hiring process, um, you should consider speaking to an attorney. Uh, if, if you live in Illinois, as I mentioned, you should familiarize yourself with the uh, mm-hmm. AI Video Interview Act and and possibly speak to an attorney if your rights have been violated. Um, you can always try reaching out to the company that declined to hire you to ask for a written explanation. Um, I don't know how successful that will be in most cases, but it, it couldn't hurt in some. We, Epic, does not represent outside clients. We represent only ourselves in litigation um, mm, and, and, okay. and our members. Um, so we're not in a position to, to bring class actions. I'm sure there are uh, plaintiff's attorneys out there who are looking at the suite of issues and may, may uh, try to bring class actions in the future. You should also, you know, more generally seek out candidates for office who favor comprehensive data <laughs> yeah. protection legislation oh, yeah. and other privacy protective statutes and regulations. Um, you should write to your legislators, I think especially legislators at the state level, where mm-hmm. a lot of these laws are likely to be developed right. and enacted in the near term, um, letting them know that you think this is an important issue to, to pay attention to. Uh, and if I may say so, you should support organizations like Epic that are engaged yes. in this fight and, and trying to call, you know, the attention of the public and, and legislators and regulators to these issues. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, one of the things, you know, you guys, Electronic Veterinary Foundation, Center for Democracy, Democracy and Technology, you guys are all out there doing some really, really great work. And I often, often uh, encourage the audience to to help out. If, it's one of those things where, you know, if you believe in the issue, if you want to get involved, but you don't have time yourself and, you know, give money to the folks that are doing it every day, you know, and doing a great job at it. <laughs> that certainly includes <laughs> you guys. So before we wrap up here, maybe some, maybe some positive, positive thinking about this. First of all, do you feel, and I'm, I'm hoping you do that with the, the chain, the, the stark 
change in administrative priorities um, that we've just recently had here in the United States. Do you, do you foresee uh, maybe some beneficial legislation, uh, regulation coming uh, in the near term? And, and just in general, do you, do you see a way for this kind of AI and ML stuff to be actually used for as a force for good? Are there could could we be using these things in different ways that would that would be more beneficial to society and democracy? Just big question. Yeah. Twenty five words or less. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I I am and we are as an organization cautiously optimistic about the prospect of comprehensive data protection legislation in, in the coming two to four years. There is actually quite a bit of agreement, uh, bipartisan agreement on the basic parameters of mm. what a, a general data protection law would look like. There are some significant points of disagreement as well, but um, I, I think I feel more optimistic now than I would have two or four years ago. I think there is, especially at the FTC, a prospect for real action um, through, through regulations and enforcement actions, um, because turnover and control of that commission will likely mean that you know some of the priorities that democratic commissioners have uh, identified in the past while they've been in the minority are likely to become priorities of the agency when they're in the majority uh, and those include um, being more aggressive and comprehensive in in the commission's approach to data privacy and ai related issues and in terms of you know using ai as a force for good i mean i, I think there are ways um I'm not a technologist or a computer scientist, so I, I, you know, it's a little bit out of my depth in some ways. But <laughs> I think using AI to evaluate, say, the composition of a workforce and to identify problems and, and, and choke points in the hiring process—that's mm -hmm. um, less about making individualized determinations of applicants and more about identifying uh, systematic and structural problems yeah, with sure. with the company's hiring process. Um, that that could be a beneficial use if it's if it's subject to the correct safeguards and it's, you know, deployed cautiously and transparently um, and with a clear and credible explanation of, of why the benefits outweigh the risks. Um, but but I, I think that is a, a potential, you know, uh, frontier for AI use. And, and obviously I mean, there, there are many, many, many uses of AI that do not involve personal data and making right. individualized determinations about housing and credit and employment and education. Um, and, and those are, uh, I think, hold great promise. Well, John, this is a fascinating discussion. And, you know, this is something that ever, well, many of us, especially during COVID now are dealing with. So so glad to bring you on the show. And thanks, thanks for coming on to talk to us about this issue. Yeah, thanks so much, Gary. This was a, this was a real pleasure. Very interesting. It was great talking to John, and great to get somebody on from Epic. I've been, you know, talking about those guys for years. Literally, uh, they've been doing some great work, and uh, for whatever reason, just haven't really managed to uh, crack the code to finding someone to come on the show. But we did this one. That's great, and hopefully, it's just the first of many more to come, including, you know, hopefully bringing John back as well. So, uh, they really are doing some great work. You definitely should check out epic.org. E P I C dot O R G. You know, hit them up with some donations uh, or just, you know, at least check them out, see what they're doing. I'm sure they've got a newsletter you could sign up for. And, you know, like the EFF and some others, they are out there working every day to guard your rights and to make the world a better place, uh, particularly online. So um, check them out. Uh, tell your friends. It's really good to support these guys and groups like them. Now, also, uh, John was the first person that I managed to collect some bonus content from. And this is something I'm going to be doing for my patrons on Patreon. 
and, uh, you know, I'll ask some extra questions and I've got kind of some stock questions and they're, you know, kind of outside the realm of the topic we're on. You know, I want to make sure you guys get all of that, but I wanted to get some extra stuff too, as long as I got them on the horn. And, um, some patrons will even have the opportunity because my patrons will actually know ahead of time who I'm going to be interviewing to suggest questions for me to ask. And those are great ones to put on the bonus content. So I will be publishing those to my patrons uh, here soon. And there will be definitely more of those coming up. In fact, my interview, my next interview with Phil Zimmerman, I've got a lot of extra content there to post. So there'll be plenty of extra stuff there. And I'm just going to kind of do that more going forward. So anyway, something to look forward to if you're a patron and maybe a reason why you might want to become one. Some other ones are, uh, I have set up a Discord server, so now you can directly interact with me. I, I'll be honest, I don't have a lot of patrons right now. Uh, so if you want to get in soon, you'll have a lot more access because there's not a whole lot of other people there right now. But yeah, so I've got a Discord server. It's really easy. It's free. It's uh, easy to sign up for. Uh, and, you know, we just chat. You can ask me questions. You, you can suggest topics for, uh, for upcoming podcasts or for the blog or the newsletter or the book or whatever you want. And I will be doing some, you know, kind of AMA or Q&A sessions at some point too. So, uh, you know, basically just several opportunities to directly interact with me. We could talk about privacy. We could talk about security. We could talk about products and services, and we could talk about anything you want to talk about. Also, if you're at all curious about how, you know, how I make this podcast, there's actually a lot to it. Um, I think you would be surprised. Uh, I put together a little video that, that all the behind the scenes stuff and actually how I do it. You'll get to see my computer set up and what tools and services and things I use. You'll get a look at the studio. You'll get a little idea of what it takes to edit and put all this together. And again, that's available to all my, all my patrons on Patreon. Now I've still got my super secret manufacturing product, uh, in the works. It just takes time. Uh, this is getting actually manufactured overseas, so it's going to take a little time, but I'm hoping to have these out and ready by April. And when that comes, I will give you the full details on that. But it's going to be very cool. It's something you will not be able to get anywhere else. And it actually will have a real security purpose. It will help you to be more secure. So stay tuned for more information on that in a few weeks. Now, I don't break this up probably often enough, but you can follow me all sorts of different ways. I'm on various different social media sites that each one I do a little bit different thing. You can follow me on Twitter. That's kind of where I, you know, post more most often probably. And I'll either retweet some other really cool stuff or I will post about, you know, important security and privacy things that are happening. Uh, I also do that uh, to some degree on Facebook as well. Uh, that's uh, Twitter tends, tends to be the more technical stuff. Uh, and whereas Facebook is something I want to make sure everybody knows. So you can, uh, you know, if you're going to pick, pick one to follow me on, those are probably the best two. Uh, I also do post from time to time on Mastodon, which is kind of a Twitter alternative for people who... Uh, like having a little more privacy and I, you know, I will post every once in a while. I'll post on LinkedIn. You can find me in there as well. And of course I've got a YouTube channel where currently I'm just posting uh, kind of the podcast, but I hope to be posting some video tutorials and things like that soon. So you can follow me there as well. You can find all of those links. If you just go to firewalls, don't stop dragons.com. And on the right hand side, you can see the little follow me icons there that have, you know, links to all of those things. Plus of course, on the show notes. Oh, I forgot to mention, if you're a patron, all my patrons do get copies of all the show notes sent directly to them. So they get links to all the things I talk about, including links to all the articles I read in the news stories. If you go to my website, you can also sign up for my newsletter. Uh, I send that out every two weeks. One went out just last night. And I try to cover, you know, topics that are relevant, things that are popping up in the news right now, and uh, include something actionable, something you can do to help uh, improve your privacy or your security. 
the newsletter and the blog are usually the same thing. Uh, so if you want, you can see kind of quote unquote back issues of the newsletter just by going and checking out my blog and doing some searching around there. But if you want to have them sent to you automatically every week, you can just sign up for the newsletter. And if you do sign up for the newsletter, you'll get a free My Top 5 Tips guide, as well as the first chapter of the book for free. So you can check it out. Now, here's the thing. If you've if you've already thought about all those things and either decided yay or nay or on all of them, that, that's all well and good. Uh, but I really need to reach more people as well. So what I would love for you to do, uh, if you're doing any of these things, or if you thought about doing them, or if you think someone else in particular might benefit from them, please spread the word, uh, tell your friends, put it, share it up on social media. Um, however, however it's best for you to get that out. I would very much appreciate it if you would share that with others. I'm trying to reach a critical mass and I'm, I am not there yet. I've got a long ways to go. So anything, anything you could do to help me uh, expand my audience, I would very, very much appreciate. Uh, I don't, didn't see any new reviews on uh, Amazon or on iTunes. I saw some more five-star reviews, but there weren't any text that went along with them. There was no, uh, so I had nothing to read. So there actually have been some more reviews. So whoever did those, uh, thank you very much. I, I need them. I appreciate them. Um, and if you do happen to, you know, leave a review that actually has text, I will keep an eye on those and I will read them here on the air when they come out. All right, before we go, uh, one little bit of personal news. I just got my first vaccine shot. Uh, I got the Pfizer, so it's a two shot thing. My next appointment is four weeks out. I, did, I could do it in three weeks. I'm going to see if I can't get that bumped up, but I am so, so happy to finally get my first shot. And I, I actually had zero, zero response to that. Now I heard the second one is the one most people have a reaction to. Uh, so we'll see after I get the second one, but I, I mean, my arm wasn't even sore. So easy peasy. I hope the rest of you are out there getting yours too. Uh, at this point, at least in the United States, it's becoming much more widely available and it's starting to be opened up for just about all adults who want one. So man, when that comes up, jump on it, get your, get your shot. We we're actually almost at a race against time here because there are variants out there and the number of variants keeps growing actually. Um, and the quicker we can squelch this, uh, you know, the quicker we can, you know, cut off the chances for more possibly deadlier variants popping up. So it's really, really important that we get these, get everybody's vaccinated as quickly as possible. So get yourself signed up, help others to get signed up for their shots, convince other people that need to be convinced. We really need to get this done until then. Everybody stay safe. Keep doing that social distancing for now. Keep wearing those masks. When you go out, keep washing your hands. We just have to get a little bit further. We're almost there and we can get back to normal. Take care, everybody. And as always, until next week, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. <laughs>